Inspired by the ghastly history of both Cincinnati and New York City, author Leanna Renee Heber takes us through a tour of her gothic, gaslit fantasy, and supernatural suspense novels, which will leave a tingle in your spine and a lump in your throat. Join us, won't you, on this episode full of ghosts, fantastic psychics, and the preternatural sides of both the Queen City and the Big Apple. everyone and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Hometown Haunts podcast. I'm your host Kat Cloco and with me every week are Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. Hello ladies, how are you? Very good. Good. Yeah. Uh, for all of our tired. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> Heat. It's kind of wet, humid, <laughs> gross. It's summer. Uh, Halloween is the best time of year. Anyway, I can't wait. so <laughs> You can follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And of course, you can send us your own hometown haunts at hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. And of course, it's that time of the episode where I remind you that we're an official podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and SoundCloud. Thank you, Jen. Find us on iTunes at Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. Please rate and review us there and on YouTube so other spooky lovers just like you can find us and link in the show notes also we have a fun announcement from christina you have a new patreon christina wald sketchy adventures yes We're sketching here and sketching everywhere yes um you know i everybody for years has been telling me that i should do a, an art book and it's going to be a huge undertaking but um i'm really excited about it um i thought i had all my sketches organized till i tried organizing them <laughs> Oh. I realize they're everywhere. Um, but anyway, I'm, uh, I've started the Patreon mostly for editorial and to get a designer working on it. Um, I hope to kickstart it sometime uh, next spring. Well, that'd be fun. So yeah. what is the link so people can find it? Um, if you just do a search on my name on Patreon, it should come up. Um, and uh, I'll put it in the show notes as well. Is that linked to your Crone Adventure one? No, they're separate. They're so, separate. you know, as okay. you know, I have my cartoon called Embrace the Crone and the Crone Patreon separate. Um, and uh, I had taken a couple month hiatus because I was finishing my book for the San Diego Zoo, but that's finished. So I've been um, working on my Crone cartoons every week. And actually mm -hmm. a friend got me this really cute Crone book this week. It's called Marsh Crones. And oh. um, I don't know if I'm getting a good image of it, but the artwork no. is, is delightful. Yeah, I, my, this camera's not, if I had my other camera, it would it's be It's like looking shoot. into the yeah. sun, Christina. Yes. Yeah, this, this does not, <laughs> this does not um, show well, but, but it's, it's a great book about cro marsh crones and it's got really cute artwork on it. So, Aww. Um, but anyway, uh, we have a guest today. Yeah, but also we had one more announcement. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, yes. Leanna. We're just <laughs> full of announcements today. We're just brimming. So we're going on a ghost hunt this weekend. We're, we've managed to talk Jen into coming out into the spooky world with us. We're going to an old pioneer cemetery in Oxford, Ohio. So if you'd like to join us, the full moon ghost hunt at the historical, I think it's Doty Homestead. You can buy tickets online. 
if you listen to our episodes, Don't Call Us Ghost Hunters with Ashley and Amanda, they are hosting this. And there's event number one at 6 p.m. It goes till 9.30. And then if you want to see us try to spook Jen as much as possible, you can join Don't us from dare. the 10 p.m. to 1.30 a.m. slot. You can... We'll, we'll put the links for tickets. It will be fun. I don't know anything about this homestead. We'll see what we pick up and who talks to us. I am so jazzed to take you two on a ghost hunt. <laughs> I'm excited. I totally forgot about it until uh, Katie mentioned it to me yesterday. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's right in my time where I'm not sleeping. So I, yeah. I will be there. <laughs> yeah, it goes to 2.30 in the morning. And I was joking that a lot of times I'm asleep by then. So uh, I was envisioning me being asleep somewhere with ghosts dancing around and saying, I didn't see anything. That's happened to me before. <laughs> But that's a different story for a different time. Yeah, usually I'm asleep at midnight, so I am going to be the sleepy pumpkin in the in the graveyard this round. But sour patch kids and coffee, that is the secret anyway, to staying up on. So our guest tonight is Leanna Renee Heber, who is an actress, playwright, ghost tour guide, and the award-winning best-selling author of over 13 gothic gaslamp fantasy and supernatural suspense novels for adults and teens through tor source books kensington books and also script we'll get to that she's also the author of the dark nest space opera novels for script her roots are in cincinnati originally from outside hamilton ohio graduating from miami university and trained at the cincinnati shakespeare company liana now resides in new york city where she's also a licensed tour guide with a manhattan burrows of the dead tour welcome to the show Leanna. thank you for having me it's so good to talk to my hometown people yes yeah how's the big city it's great. It's hot. It's um, uh, busy, but uh, folks have been handling life and the strange year and a half we've had uh, reasonably well. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I love I love New York State and I love Ohio equally. So I consider both of these states a uh, happy home. Yeah, yeah. It's there's such interesting history in both states because especially Cincinnati has an interesting pre-America history that also New York state has. And until you're really looking into it, because I used to live in Rhode Island. So yeah, yeah, high there revolutionary war history everywhere. Absolutely. Like Ohio shares parts of Ohio share that. So it's an Mm -hmm. interesting connection between the two. I agree too. Yeah. And I talk a lot about, you know, immigrant experience stories and there's such rich immigrant history, both in New York and also in Cincinnati, the industrial history. It's so interesting. And so with all of that, you know, you get a wealth of um, intersecting layers of interesting different kinds of people. And also too, with all of those early stories come that much more opportunity for ghost stories, right? Oh yeah. It's just a bevy of ghost stories. So going back all the way to the beginning, I think when you started writing, what piqued your interest into writing? Because you've written so many books and so many series, <laughs> and we would like you to books. tell us all about them. <laughs> I've written a lot of books. My early, so, But all of it actually connects back to ghosts, because my earliest 
memories are of telling ghost stories that I was making up on the spot to my Girl Scout troop in Oxford, Ohio, where, you know, not far from where you're going to be having your ghost hunt. Um, So, yeah, I went to school in Oxford um, for uh, kindergarten through eighth grade, went to high school in uh, Trenton, Ohio, uh, at Edgewood, and then went to Miami, back to Oxford for college, and then did a lot of my early professional theater career in Cincinnati, as you mentioned, at the Shakespeare Festival. And, you know, the through line for all of this is that I was always really interested in performative storytelling. And I loved writing as equally as I did performing. And so it was really, it's really been a a lifetime of trying to make sure that I'm still keeping a performative angle in my storytelling as well as the written word. And so part of becoming a ghost tour guide for me was how can I still keep that performative angle? How can I honor that little girl who loved scaring her friends and found a great power in that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I was always the one, of course, you know, that led my friends through graveyards, uh, ill-advised often, um, definitely trespassing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we were, we were innocent about it. We weren't, we weren't trying to ever be disrespectful. It was always out of love for the history that we would learn in these beautiful spaces and also a lot of respect for just how gorgeous uh, the historic cemeteries around Ohio and Cincinnati are. I spent a great deal of time in Springwood. (laughs) So um, growing up, you know, so I feel like for me, when I first started writing, it just was an extension of this like, I don't really know where performance stops and where writing begins for me because they were all so completely entwined. I went to school for theater, so that's my degree, is in theater performance. But I was also taking playwriting classes. And actually, my first published work were plays because that was just kind of what was top of mind at the time. My novels were something I kind of did in secret for a long time because they were honestly just a little too personal. I wasn't ready to share them with the world. I could be performative and be on stage and speak somebody else's words, but writing was something that was just inherently personal to me. It really got closer to my soul. And so I kind of went back and forth a lot about whether I really wanted to let theater take the lead or I wanted to, uh, you know, shift and let my, the books I was writing in secret take the lead. And I, I was at a Broadway callback for the show Spelling Bee. And all I could think about was my book that I'd been writing for, at this point, eight years when I first started at the Cincinnati Shakespeare Festival. I started on the novel that I knew was gonna be the one that if I was ever gonna try to publish anything, it was gonna be this one. And so eight years later, I'd still been kind of back and forth. And I tried to query it a few places and I just knew I needed to make more connections and I I knew I needed to do more revisions on it. And I needed to kind of really focus on it. Because as you're trying to be a professional actor, that's a rat race of its own. That, you know, to me was just a real clarion wake up call for me that I needed to shift and stop auditioning for a little while and reassess what I really wanted. So I started networking with New York City um, uh, writers groups. When I had moved to New York, um, it was because I knew that I wanted to both be in a, a central place that both was the center of publishing, as New York is kind of the center of the publishing houses. They all operate out of New York and also the heart of theater. So I wanted to kind of for the big for the big city to help me clarify my goals and my dreams. So um, when I, once I refocused, that really helped galvanize. And I got a lot of really good advice on my book uh, and, and, and within a couple of years landed my first um, contract. And I have been publishing at least one book a year, if not more than one ever since. Oh, so, wow. You are busy. busy. Yes. I'm working for three different publishing houses right now and still trying to do ghost presentations, uh, mostly mostly still virtual right now. We haven't really gone back to in-person stuff yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was interested in how you got into the ghost Same. tours. Yeah. <laughs> when did you when did you move to uh, New York? So I moved in 2005. I had actually I bounced around the regional theater circuit for a while. I when I left Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, I it's because I'd gotten a full time job doing uh, Dracula um, for uh, for the Commonweal Theater Company in Minnesota. So I left for Minnesota and stayed in that theater scene for several years and got my equity card. So that's the union for actors. And with that, I wanted to move to New York City because once you become a union actor. Um, it's harder in a smaller town to make a go of it. So I moved to New York uh, with that equity card also because you know, you've know you got resources when you join a union that I hadn't had before. And I could really use those when I was in New York. Um, and then it was very funny because I, I swiftly then did not work in any equity shows because then I shifted over to being a writer, but I'm still a member, proud member of my unions because I worked very hard to get in those unions. And so I've not left them. I've used them definitely for film and background work that I've done for film and television. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah, 2005. So it's, uh, That's but a I go time. back a lot to Ohio for events and I've, I've never missed a, a book launch, um, uh, back in Ohio for any of my books. So yeah, like I saw that in the uh, Cincinnati Magazine article that you'll be back for a book launch at, in yes. Eastgate and also for this uh, steampunk symposium. So Correct. yeah, that will be exciting. Um, yes, you get to I go to the one Barnes and Noble that's yes, left. Barnes and Noble, crossing our fingers that everything, yeah. <laughs> like everything, everything well, thought, goes well for bookstores. I thought you looked familiar because I think I saw some of your Shakespeare shows when you were in town. I used yes. to go to Shakespeare Company when they first opened. And then I used to go to a lot of Fringe Festival shows. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, we did some of those. And um, my favorite thing I did at Cincinnati Shakespeare was I played Lucy in Dracula. And that was always, oh neat. That's uh, a fun the, one. the year after I had played Mina in, in Dracula in Minnesota, they brought me back to play Lucy. And I could have just happily just shifted playing vampires for the rest of my life. I know I saw at least one of the Dracula shows because I think they've done it more than once. I can't remember Correct. what year I went to go see it, but it, it was a good show. I, I saw it when it was, they built a new Shakespeare theater here. I know, no, that's very I know nice. I was in the old one. Yeah, the, I, this was in the old one that I saw this. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, some really great shows. Um, and actually one of our, the one of the, our contributors to our, uh, what started this podcast is um, we put together a comic anthology about haunted stuff in Cincinnati. And one of our contributors is um, Jay Kalagayan, who uh, you probably know because he started the Fringe Festival and is on the board at the Know. Absolutely. And stuff. Yeah. So he'll that's probably awesome. be excited to listen to this. Yay. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. That's, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, um, Cincinnati has such a wonderful arts scene and I'm, I will always be forever grateful for that. And also, and I always try to keep track of it too. Yeah. And we're growing like the anthology is one and we're trying to get, at least for the comics group, we're trying to get that bigger. Yeah. Christina runs the urban sketchers group. And then there's a, the children's theater, I think also has a newer theater that's on red bank. Yeah. So yeah, lots of growth. Um, actually that just leads me to, this is an, not writing related but ghost related what is your favorite cincinnati local urban legend or ghost story my favorite cincinnati ghost story it's definitely ma green the steamboat captain oh so ma green was the first mary mary green mm -hmm. um was the first woman who ever 
got a pilot's license to be a steamboat captain. And it she got her license in the late 1800s. And um, her and her husband had run a steamboat company and she watched him work and just really took to it. And then, you know, co-captained and then captained her own uh, trips, gave birth on the steamboat, um, died on the steamboat. So, you know, her whole life was really entwined with the Delta Queen. Mm-hmm. So um, she would stay in a stateroom. Uh, the Delta Queen passengers basically wanted to ride that boat because of Ma Green. Like she just was this kind of force of nature um, who uh, was very warm and very welcoming, but also really knew her stuff. She really knew how to pilot a ship. And that's just kind of a, a wonderful thing, especially at a time when women were not pilots. Um, mm-hmm. So she was... Um, you know, really kind of making her mark in the late 19th century, early 20th century. Um, she was an ardent teetotaler in that she uh, she did not partake of alcohol, nor did she want anyone to partake of alcohol either. And so there was there were no bars on her ships. Uh, and the Delta Queen ended up being sort of the favorite ship. Um, they The Green Company had run many different ships, but the Delta Queen really kind of was the one that she really, truly connected to. And... Um, after her passing, she died in the Delta Queen uh, stateroom. And uh, um, after that, when the boat went out, she was very much seen on the decks. And she would, um, if anything was wrong with the ship, she would let people know. There was a, a, a captain who was awoken out of a deep sleep by someone shoving him awake. Uh, he looked around, no one was there, but turns out something was on fire. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so she was looking after her ship. Um, mm-hmm. She, uh, uh, someone was doing a, was doing some photography and uh, was actually doing some photography along the wall of pictures of Ma Green and sort of taking photos of the photos. And then one of the photos moved towards him of her. And so she came to life from the photo, almost like, you know, just, uh, I, I just imagine like a, a wonderful special effect in a spooky oh, film, yeah. just, you know, um, so you can let your imaginations run with that. Um, and um, my favorite thing about her is that when the Delta Queen, it the Delta Queen had a, a lot of history back and forth, um, a lot of fights over where it would, uh, where it would operate, uh, you know, uh, in terms of our modern era, uh, you know, it's hard sometimes to get something that should really be sort of a museum to still have the same operable and safety standards and everything that you're able to take a boat out with. So there had been a lot of back and forth about where it was going to live. And then there was going to be a uh, renovation on the boat and they were going to put in a bar. So I mentioned earlier that Ma Green did not like alcohol. Um, she did not like what it did to people. She, she did not like its effects. So as they were gonna put the bar in, a small ship accidentally rammed into the side of the Delta Queen, right mm. where the bar was going to go. And the <laughs> name of the ship was the Mary B. Mary B. Green, that was like, her name. And the name of the my ship was body. Mary B. And it wasn't, it was the pilot driving the boat did not mean to run into the Delta Queen, but it did. Of and course. it was the Mary B. And I just think that's he a was the piloting, best. apparently. That's right, right, yeah. exactly. Someone was, yes. So so someone took over there um, to protect her ship and its um 
uh, dry <laughs> conditions. So, and it's legacy. Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, right? that's a good one. Isn't that isn't that fantastic? So I that's will really be writing good. about that specifically in an upcoming book. So um, so that's going to be a whole chapter devoted to Ma Green. And I'm really excited. I've got a couple of Cincinnati historians who are actually going to be talking to the Green family and Ooh, uh, nice. I'll some cool. firsthand accounts. I'm very excited. Um, so I'll keep you all posted about that. But uh, right now, our working title for the book that Ma Green's story will be one of the chapters in is called Spectral Women. And it's all about, and it will have a subtitle, but we're not entirely sure. We're going... Yeah. Yes. So uh, myself and two co-authors have come together to create uh, Spectral Women. And this is a story about, it's a, a nonfiction book focusing on women's narratives in ghost mm -hmm. stories and haunted house stories. Mm -hmm. We're interested in the way in which women are looked at in life and in death. So we have different tropes that we'll be examining. The spinster, Mothers and wives, the fallen woman, the, sh the, the jilted lover, these various tropes and the ways in which women's limitations through time have affected how we talk about them both in life and in death. Uh, and so it's, it's just an examination um, mm -hmm. of women's narratives specifically uh, from several authors who are ghost tour guides as well as nonfiction authors. So, um, and we have a diverse team that's working on this as well. And uh, so nothing like this has ever been done where it's looking at just women ghosts and having a discussion about how we think about them. I'm going to add something. My old anthropology professor did do this. She looked at female ghost stories. She's a professor at Indiana University Bloomington, but her thing was on Japanese ghost stories. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah, but she only wrote academic stuff. So stuff for the general audience and everything and a larger ethnographic study of it. Like you're looking at La Llorona or if you're looking at um, The Girl from the Ring or Juan, like something like that where it's broader, that has not been done. Her specialty was Japanese because you're looking at like um, Murasaka Shikibu and a lot of this uh, yeah. really old thousand year old uh, epics that were written but i'll need to find her name because i've forgotten it because it's been over a decade oh yeah no but i definitely if you'd like a, a little bit yeah i will try to find her yes, i don't think you. she's yeah because she's looking at it from a purely academic standpoint translating sure, old sure. manuscripts so different yeah, we're, but we're maybe from like a, a narrative nonfiction, you know, we, we're going to tell a bunch of ghost stories and then we're going to invite you to think about how we think about these ghost stories, specifically yeah. American ghost stories. Yeah. So we're just focusing on this country. If, if the book does well, um, there's definitely uh, an interest that we have in expanding it because I, we're, we've curated a list of 30 ghost stories because, you know, otherwise that it would be a, mm -hmm an inexhaustible tome yeah uh, it would be the oxford english dictionary length you know if we were there's to go through dead all women everywhere stories. exactly so um we we tried to just choose some of the stories that we personally felt very passionate about or had our own particular experiences with mm -hmm. um, there are some women ghosts who i have had some personal encounters with through the years and i'm <laughs> I, and i have you know something to offer in that in that count so um we're also talking about it from the perspective of being professional uh tour guides 
too. Yeah. Um, because there's a unique, there's a unique kind of experience when you're not only ta- talking and telling a ghost story, talking about and telling a ghost story with a group of people, but also how the people then react. So mm-hmm. I'm very interested in when people come to my tour, the types of sort of not just interests or fascinations they have, but like deep spiritual questions that they bring mm-hmm. to this uh, work. And so I, I sort of found myself being a bit of a paranormal chaplain sometimes and just sort of, you know, talking with them through the folk, folks wanted to confess to me their ghost mm-hmm. stories and oh, yeah. be absolved of me thinking that they were out of their mind. It's, it's been fascinating. And I, and I welcome this because I'm like, no, you are not in fact crazy. Um, <laughs> welcome to the realms of the unexplained. No, I'm not going to tell you what to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting role you become um, and you play when you are not only transmitting the stories through an oral tradition, but also the people who are listening to it are now becoming parts of that oral tradition, not only by listening to it, but if you're doing a ghost hunt, like what we're going to do, or even just a ghost tour, you're participating in it and becoming part of the narrative. And it's, yeah, that, that's definitely something we'll have to talk about on a later episode when this book comes out. Absolutely. Definitely, what, what got you into doing the ghost tours and kind of what, this is like a multi-part question, like what made you start doing the ghost tours? Um, what is your ghost tour consist of? What does your ghost court tour consist of? And also, what do you find, uh, like, like, is there a certain, when you talk about certain type of people, do you have like like sort of different groups of people that you have that come on ghost tours like like some people are super annoying probably and some people you know and and I I preface this with saying I went on a ghost tour with some friends um in Savannah uh, a couple years ago and some didn't take it seriously at all and it's like you know and I wondered kind of what your experience of of guests is well that's a great question so how I got into doing ghost tours was I had been when I first moved to New York City, I knew that I wanted to write novels set in New York City. And I also knew that I needed a side job in addition to performing, in addition to writing. And so being a tour guide comes pretty naturally to me. It was one of the first jobs I ever had was being a tour guide in Ohio. I was a tour, I'd been a tour guide in Minnesota. So I had experience as a tour guide. It's something I enjoy doing. I love history. And I knew that in learning about New York for my job as a tour guide, that was going to help give me the background I needed to write about New York as a writer, as a writer of historical paranormal fiction. All of my books are historical fantasy in a, a realistic 19th century world in which something paranormal happens, but it is set in a realistic 19th century world. So I wanted a real good background in New York history. So I just started working as a general tour guide, but that for me after a while became very exhausting. And I also was very limited. I became more limited in my time to to give tours as my writing career took off. So I still wanted to keep working as a tour guide because I felt like it really allowed my performance uh, life to still have a, a vibrant life. And I wouldn't have to keep chasing auditions. I just, you know, would give tours and let the performer take over for a bit and then go back to my writing. And so I, I had um, attended a, 
um, a night of ghost stories uh, run by my now boss and co-author Andrea Janes of Burrows of the Dead. And so she was hosting a ghost tour night. She knew I was a local author who wrote about ghosts. And all of my books have ghosts in them. So, you know, for me, my writing and wanting to be this ghost tour guide, it was just, it was a very natural thing. So when I said, you know, Andrea, I actually do have a tour guide's license because you have, you have to pass a test and be licensed in New York um, to be a tour guide. Because uh, a lot of New Yorkers like to talk about things. They like to think that they know everything, but you actually really do need to pass a test because otherwise New Yorkers <laughs> would just talk um, without any kind of... Uh, 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 regulation. <laughs> so, um, so I, I mentioned that I had a license and she said, great, I need a tour guide. So, um, I've done several of the tours with Bros of the Dead, but my favorite one that I lead is, um, the Greenwich Village ghost tour, which is just taking folks through Greenwich Village and telling some of the best ghost stories that, that the city has to offer. Um, there are, you know, Burrows of the Dead does have many multi-borough tours um, and, and it's not just Manhattan centric. I don't ever want to, people to think that New York City is only Manhattan. That's just not true. It's five boroughs, equally fascinating boroughs. Um, but um, my favorite is the Greenwich Village Ghost Tour. So I, I keep going back to that one. I also created a tour called The Magic and Mysticism of Central Park, which talks about how 19th century spiritualism and transcendentalism and other mystical ways of thought led to the park being created. And then really? I take people through some of my favorite spots in Central Park. I talk a lot about that history and then talk about people's interests in these other mystical pursuits that really influenced a lot of how the park is laid out and how uh, some of the choices for what was placed in the park as well. So there's some cool um, mystical things, whether it's uh, Cleopatra's needle, um, you know, the, the incredible Egyptian uh, treasure that's inside the park or um, talking about the ramble, which is essentially a transcendentalist meditative walk. So various, you know, things about that history of Central Park really, really uh, interest me. Um, I'm very fascinated about the ways in which uh, 19th century cemeteries led to our modern parks movement. I mean, you, you draw a straight line there. Um, so talking about that's been really fun for me. That's sort of a passion project. So that's my other favorite tour um, that I lead uh, with Burrows of the Dead. It just became an organic thing going from uh, being a general tour guide, uh, you know, pursued that job because I wanted to basically have a deep dive into New York history. And I thought, what better way to do that than to have than that be my job and then be able to let that feed my, not my novels. And so it's great because in especially in my spectral city books which are my latest books i really do try to lead my audience my readers through historic new york as if i am a tour guide i i, I promise i don't pause and explain every building in in the in the narrative <laughs> it, it, it does it, it is action focused but um but i really do pause and take in the atmosphere that's one of the things that folks have uh, commented on my writing uh, positively in terms of the atmosphere of like really kind of letting people lose themselves in this historic, eerie, uh, gaslit New York. So um, I think for me, just these things just really, really feed each other. So I've been trying, you know, as with any career in the arts, you can very easily feel pulled in too many different directions when you're just trying to hustle and make a living. Cause I'm not going to lie. It's a hard, <laughs> it is hard to make a living in the arts. Um, 
in any city, let alone New York. Um, so having more than one thing that you do is pretty critical to keeping employed and uh, fed. So, <laughs> oh. so for me, feeling like I was doing that, all of the work I was doing we just keeps feeding each other um, has been a way that just for me is so fulfilling. I would love to take that Central Park tour. I love walking through the park. I mean, it's so, me I mean, I, I've sketched, Magical. I've sketched there a bunch of times and I love, Yeah. I mean, it's such, it's such an interesting and, and hearing how, um, you know, it, the, the spiritual aspect of it that you're describing and, you know, it's linked to, to cemeteries is something I didn't really know about. So that's really fascinating. Yeah, we can go, we can go into further detail on that because, um, not, uh, in terms of this tour, those of you uh, are, who are Cincinnati folks, um, I will likely be giving a virtual version of this in the fall. Oh, neat! So oh, nice. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll. Please let us know. Yeah. Loop back yeah. to you guys, and uh, and yeah, I'll definitely let you all know. If you follow Burrs of the Dead, um, if you just go to burrsofthedead.com, uh, they're really good about letting you know uh, what their schedule is. Um, there's not going to be nearly as many in-person tours, not not just because of um, of you know our current situation but also too because uh we're all a bit booked with this book um too <laughs> uh but there, there still will be tours some in person but we're still gonna also we've had we had really good luck with some of our virtual tours and it really was wonderful to do a virtual tour of central park when people tuned in from finland you know and 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 from south america and you know it just was just such a honor to be able to ha provide a portal to a worldwide audience um, that, you know, that um, wanted to know more about this park that really influenced so much. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I'm also very interested in the way natural spaces affect mm -hmm. how we talk about ghosts too. Um, I really do think that there's a lot about a ghost story that you need to know the context of the land and the landscape uh, in order to make that ghost story really live in you as you're telling it and to have an effect yeah, oh, oh yeah i'm really fascinated by the huge graveyards that are in queens like as you fly in where you see oh. acre upon acre i mean densely packed endlessly large graveyards yes there are more dead people than alive people in queens it, it looks that way. I'd like the, to visit the numbers one of them. Are, are exactly that. Well, and and part of that is just because that was an that was a borough that developed a lot later, and it had a lot more space, and so that is just where the graveyards ended up being. There are still historic graveyards in Manhattan, but Manhattan real estate has always been at a premium since the 1600s. So, um, you know, it, it's uh, those historic cemeteries in Manhattan are beautiful and wonderful and, and precious, but the big ones are, uh, you know, are, are out in Queens and in Brooklyn, Springwood, uh, sorry, not that's, that's Cincinnati, um, Greenwood in Brooklyn and Woodlawn in the Bronx are two of the first garden style cemeteries from the 1830s. And those two New York City cemeteries really influenced, um, and Springwood was actually not far behind. So Cincinnati, a lot of the a lot of the things Cincinnati was doing industrially, in terms of public health, in terms of uh, musical institutions, and in terms of graveyards and other sort of civic spaces, it's actually on par with New York, relatively similar timeframes. So good job, Cincy. <laughs> Woo! Well, and you know, we were now... locked up for a while, then then we got lazy. Sorry, Jen. Well, now, well, no, I'm just gonna say now they film movies here because it looks like New York. It does. Yeah the architecture yeah. yeah absolutely if they don't tear it all down 
Oh, I know that's well that and that, but that's a constant fight everywhere. You know, I, yeah. I'm I am very in, t- in tune with our landmarking laws in New York City, and 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 same thing. I'm trying to. I, I have definitely written lots of letters about uh, you know Cincinnati architecture. Um, I was I was very worried we were going to lose Union Terminal when I was younger. Um, so you know that was a fight we we made lots of phone calls about that when I was younger um, because that's such a treasure. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. there's nothing like that building. No, you just no. You can't, you can't get these things back. Music hall is an international treasure. Um, no. You know, you can't get these things back. So I, I, and you know, and even the buildings that aren't nearly as grand, those are just as important um, spaces that helped the underground railroad. I mean, my mm-hmm. gosh, that's sacred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I'm really interested in uh, reading some of your novels. They sound really interesting. Uh, what you. is a good kickstart list of things to like if someone wants to start reading your books, what do you recommend they start with? Like what are I, I hate it when people ask what's your favorite book? People ask me that all the time. <laughs> what's your favorite book you've illustrated? And it's like whatever one I just finished. Right, but, exactly. Uh, but um, what what's a good like starter reader of your books? Well, I'll, I'll tell you my four main series and you can decide for yourself. I've got little taglines for each one. So my first books were my strangely beautiful novels and that's basically Victorian Ghostbusters in Victorian England at 18, in 1888 at the time of Jack the Ripper with a lot of Greek mythology bleeding literally onto the streets of London. And it's a family it's an epic family saga, four volumes in that. If you are a teen reader or if you like young adult fiction, then that's where my magic most foul books come in. And that starts with Darker Still. It's a paranormal mystery set in 1880 with a haunted painting. And the gentleman that's trapped within must be saved by the lady who realizes there's an actual soul inside the painting. So a little bit of a take on the picture of Dorian Gray there with that one. So um, that's a trilogy as well. Then my Eternophiles series is basically Victorian X-Files in New York and in London in 1882. A lot of paranormal fireworks, a great deal of international espionage uh, and the quest for immortality wrapped up in it. And so that uh, begins with the Eternophiles. Uh, that's also a trilogy. And then my latest is The Spectral City. And that's about a group of psychic detectives in 1899 Manhattan. It's a girl gang of psychic mediums. And they have to come together to save not only their favorite ghosts who work with them. So the ghost precinct is made up of psychic mediums who are alive and their operatives who are not, um, who help solve strange crime in Manhattan in 1899. And, uh, and, and, a bunch of strange things are are happening in the city and there's both threats to the living and the dead so the spectral city it's one of those things where just like you're saying christina it's because that's my latest books um my latest novels uh i'll I'll put that disclaimer um because i have new novellas that just launched but um the, my latest novels uh, being the Spectral City books, those have a particular place in my heart because I think in a certain amount, when you've done a certain amount of books, you keep asking yourself, all right, well, what's, what's the next thing I really, really want to write? And for me, really, the Spectral City books kind of weave both my tour guide work and my other interests in in probably the most passionate way possible. So the Spectral City books are particularly special to me um, 
just because I put a lot of heart and soul into those. Uh, and, and there's just something that I felt really magical about writing them. I'll put it that way. Um, my uh, Dark Nest and Time Immemorial novellas are uh, ones I got to narrate the audio for. And those are all, there's a series of six novellas that uh, are either futuristic or are time slip, meaning they go through different time periods. So the Time Immemorial books, which are just out as of last week, the th third installment, those are, um, if you're a fan of Star Trek, but also are interested in time travel, then you would like those because uh, a woman who's living for concurrent past lives. So it's not really that past life, she's living them all in the present. Uh, through four different time periods. So wow. that one's a little unique. It's a little bit uh, cross genre, a little bit harder to explain, but uh, no less, um, uh, I, I wrote it with no less love or passion. Um, and so those are available exclusively by, via Scribed, which is, uh, so scribed.com, that's S-C-R-I-B-D.com. You can do a free 30 day trial and you can hear me narrate the audiobooks where I get to put my theater training to further use and oh, that's uh, bring awesome. that into my writing. So yeah. that's been fun. I listen okay. to a lot Excellent. of audiobooks. Yeah, have for, for illustrators, audiobooks are just... Not nah. a lifeline, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have writing and I, and I learned a lot about doing audiobooks as I go. So I will, <laughs> full disclosure, my, my Time Immemorial audiobooks for that trilogy is, is actually a lot cleaner and better than the ones I did at first. Um, I, I learned a lot as I went, so... <laughs> So, so time immemorial, time immemorial would be a good one to hop in on. Uh, and if you like those, if you like what I'm doing with those worlds, you'll notice that there's crossover characters. All of my books have crossover characters. You, any one of these series that I've mentioned, just start with book one. Um, but you don't have to start at any one. You know, start with whichever of these sounds interesting to you. Um, they all sound interesting, that, actually. Yeah, well, thank you. They do. <laughs> thank you. So. You know, if, if you if you honestly can't pick, then then start with spec the Spectral City because okay. that's um, that's the one that I feel I felt really called to honor the spirit world with these books. Working with ghosts, I feel I am honored to be able to do so. It's not something I take lightly. I look at this as a calling, and I always have, and so it's something that I am very 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 passionate about but also take as a sort of sacred duty to to kind of honor the spirit world in what i work with and i really feel like i was able to to do that in a way with spectral city that just um you know it's a fun action adventure story but there's also just something really special about how spirits teach me about how to live so i i sometimes turn to stories of the dead to help me figure out how to live oh that's a great that's a great quote that's good yeah yeah Thank you. and uh jen has questions about writing yes bring it uh, on so with all of your books and your storylines and your plots how do you not repeat yourself and how do you keep everything straight well, that's a great question. And I think <laughs> inevitably there are certain things that you'll find do create a parallel. I think a lot of writers, we're drawn to certain themes. I will always write a group of different quirkies, quirky characters who come together to save the day. I'm, all, I'm always assembling a Scooby gang 
of people who come together to solve the mystery and save the day. And so I'm a very cast driven, like a character driven, cast driven novelist. So I'm really about found family. I really love people who are kind of outcasts who find their family together and their purpose together. And, you know, and, and that for me also, I just feel is a, a good message for the world of like, Hey, let's just try to look at people who might be different from us, but also where we have got maybe a lot in common and, you know, let's figure out how we can make something better for ourselves and other people. And um, so that's, that kind of themes you'll find in all of my work. So that might be a way in which it repeats, but I hope that I'm doing it some different every time. And I think because I focus on characters and the characters are never the same. Um, sometimes they might all be psychic or they might all have certain things that in common, but they're going to be different people. And because I have crossover characters, rather than just writing the same tropes, I just bring in my exorcist. I'm like, well, I have Reverend, Reverend Blessing has been really a wonderful character. Um, a black Reverend who is, who appeared in my second, um, young adult novel and then I love the character so much uh that he has been exorcising ever since and uh and I and I feel like in a lot of ways the um you know once I have a character who has this particular skill then I find that they're the person for the job and so it's like I've assembled this huge toolbox of characters you know I have a, a grand matriarch who 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 has a lot of money and is a very talented psychic and you know runs around in ball gowns helping solve mysteries and you know she's she's now seen me through so many different generations I, I met her in my books at age 40 and now she's uh in her 70s and just kicking ass as grandma and I oh. and I love her so much and so I, I feel like that I've been assembling this growing and growing family with my characters so that helps me actually keep it straight because they're all kind of in a intertwined both blood and found family narrative. So it's a matter of where are we on their extended timeline. And thankfully, publishers have been willing to humor me enough to let me do this. So and let me keep, you know, entwining and, and you know, futzing with my characters and their and their timelines. And um, I it has meant I've had to be very cautious about my contracts because these are with different publishers. So I always oh, have wow. to make sure that nobody ever has the rights to my characters because I take them with me. If I don't, if I don't continue working with a particular publisher for whatever reason, imprints change, editors change, stuff's up in the air. <laughs> my first publisher went bankrupt and my books were out of print, you know? Yeah. So. That's scary. That is it was a, it was terrifying. And, and that's part of the business and, you know, $60,000, I will never see in lost royalties mm -hmm. later, but th those are my first books. And, it, but they, I, I have a, a new, a new edition and tour, tour, um, tour books bought the backlist and oh, I nice. was able to then finish the series. Um, oh, but it, you know, was... it's a school of hard knocks, you know, it really yeah. is. So I think keeping everything straight for me is about as long as I'm really in tune with my characters, they're the ones that keep me straight. They're the ones that, you know, and I do have to go back and, and look and I do have to pull a book off my shelf and go, wait, what did I do there? Oh, okay, that's right. Because <laughs> okay, I, yeah. don't, I don't keep track. Of, I am also one of those people that does not, I don't have a master spreadsheet. I don't have a, I, 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 I probably, could really use one at this point use like a master bible of all of the stuff of like wait mm -hmm. what eye color do they have what <laughs> so um i i feel in some ways that uh that 
um, they're, I've spent so much time with them that they are to me like family. Um, but I do, I do have to go and pull stuff off the shelf and, and look and see what I've done. Um, and, there are uh, authors that use their fan wikis. The, yeah. like fan, fans that yep. make the wikipedias for them and use those as source resources absolutely i'm, I'm or very have grateful. assistants keep track of everything exactly yeah. i'm i'm very grateful that there's a couple of folks on the there's a there's a fandom wiki that uh i don't uh uh that that is has as a few uh entries in my various series and so i'm really grateful that that i'm hoping that will continue to be populated uh because it is very 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 helpful um, eventually I probably need, just need to pay somebody to like look through everything and maybe create a spreadsheet, but I don't know. There's something about spreadsheets that make me very, um, itchy as a writer. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a very chaos theory kind of writer. So <laughs> the idea okay. of like, that's yeah, my I, next question. What's your yeah. process like? Do you outline? Well, you have to outline when you're, when you're on contract, you actually have to outline, even though okay. I hate it. And even though my books very rarely fit the outline in the end. Um, you have to outline to be able to sell the book. You have to be gotcha. able to pitch the book with an outline. So I at least have to have some kind of general sense of where it's going. Thankfully, my editors know that they can never hold me exactly to it because I will go my own merry way. But honestly, I'm working with three different publishers right now with a very short time frame. So I actually have to keep to an outline, even though I I'm railing against it, but I actually don't have time to meander my way through the narrative. I actually just don't. So if, um, if you are like me, like a pantser, try to figure out how to outline in a way that won't hurt you. <laughs> it feels so painful every time I do it, but because it's very helpful to do. And especially if you are on a crunch, you know, I, I wanted to say, yes, I had opportunities come my way. Um, with editors that I really liked and wanted to work with. And they asked, hey, what do you have? And so I looked at what I had and, you know, managed to make a bunch of things work um, because I wanted to say yes to, you know, any opportunity. And that meant I had to kind of really throw outlines together and kind of put something together that's, that's pretty tightly um, focused because uh, some, some of my longer works, you know, if I spent a lot of time I didn't have kind of finding the, my way with the narrative. So um, as I have gone on, the, it has been more and more critical for me to get to that outline just so I really know where I'm going. I always know where the ending point is, but it's just that middle part that's always a little amorphous. Mm -hmm. But I, in terms of how I actually write, I do not write in a linear fashion. So I write all of the scenes that are really bursting out from me. I I write the scenes that my characters are begging me to tell. So I check in with them and say, what is your favorite part of this story? And they will tell me what the favorite part, and they will sort of show me. And then I walk, I, I basically watch the movie in my mind that they're showing me. And then I try to write, I try to translate that into, into words. So that's, you know, again, that keeps me character driven, that keeps me in tune with them and in, in, in with their hearts. Um, and then, so once those, once all of their favorite parts are down uh, on paper, then the real hard work begins because then I have to stitch it together. So my document, mm -hmm. I have a word document that says chapter and it has some stuff that's gonna go towards the beginning, then the word chapter. Then if I know that the next part I wanna write isn't for a little bit yet because it wouldn't be the next thing, then, I'll, then the document will say chapter, chapter, chapter. And then I will have some more <laughs> text and then you know so there's a document with lots of different 
words chapter. And then mm -hmm. once there's enough of those pieces that I actually have to start numbering the chapters and then doing the connective tissue so that it doesn't, you know, throw you for a complete loop going from one scene mm -hmm. to the next. Um, that's really where the hard work begins is when I, when I stitch it together. But, you know, if I, if I didn't write uh, out of order, I don't think I would ever be able to write because I would get so stuck with, uh, but I don't want to write this next scene. I know that this next scene has to happen, but I'm just not feeling it. And so I'm just stubborn enough to mm -hmm. have to write in a completely uh, non-linear sequence and then place it into a linear form. Oh, wow. Can I add something? Yeah. Yeah. So if you are a aspiring graphic novelist, like, well, I'm actually a graphic novelist, but, and you want to know, and you're a listener yes. and you want to know how to write everything she just said also applies to graphic novels. It's the same thing. Good to know. I'm yeah. so thrilled to hear that because I'm yeah. always fascinated with, uh, I'm so fascinated with visually, visual artistic process. Yeah. It's, it's the only difference would be, I have actual, actually, since I'm at my studio, I have yeah. a sketchbook that is my Bible, my character yeah. Bible that has all the um, everything handwritten down so that I can go reference like the character sheets, the character turnarounds and how places look and all that like different scenes. But also, yeah, I'll illustrate scenes like key point scenes and stories will be illustrated in the sketchbook. Yes. And then um, just because I'm, I'm sitting here at my computer, then I do the layouts. And this is just a hand stapled book and I do witches and sorcerers. And this is all of the lay. Yet again, it's just looking at the sun, but yeah. it's just all the layouts. Nice. Oh pencil. yeah, I see. I see the structure there, though. Yeah, but yeah. it's kind of exactly like the way how you write is. You see the vi the the movies. Your characters show you how they would react to this particular situation. And I also find that writing that way, not necessarily in order, your characters can grow organically within the story. Yes. And hmm. I, I'm sure you because you've written a lot of books too. Um, you've had characters that originally, like the Reverend that you were talking about, maybe a minor side character that has just grown and then just has become their own major character within the series. And that happens if you write like this. Absolutely. It's so true. And and I think too, you know, if uh, those, those who are an inspiring creative of any kind, you know, these are just one, one particular way in. I do have friends who do not think or create quite as visually as what we're talking about. They're much more, mm -hmm. they hear the text, they hear their characters much more, or they frankly just think in words and they don't necessarily mm -hmm. think in images. And that's totally valid. That would be foreign to me, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that whatever your process is, the sooner you can embrace your process and really learn what it is and I can't tell you what that is that's something you have to discover just with practice and with time and what feels right and it's, a lot of this is instinct really I mean sure there's you know there's classes and all these kinds of things but at the end of the day it's kind of like spirituality you got to find that for yourself no one can tell you yeah. what to do you know I mean so I feel like um you know process for me I'm so interested when I hear somebody's process that is absolutely antithetical to mine. Cause I'm just like, that's great. That's just so cool that the human brain can do all of these different things in so many different ways. Um, and I think just, you know, whatever works for you, you know, embrace yeah. it, but it, it, whether it's, uh, whether it's hearing it, seeing it, thinking of it 
in words. I mean, as long as you're doing it, as long as you actually give it some time and let it work through you and you don't have to give, it doesn't have to be X amount of time per day. I don't have a schedule. I don't get up at X amount of time. I don't, you know, I'm not a morning person. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't even write every day necessarily. There's a lot of people that say you have to write every day. No, I actually don't. I can't. I have too many other things going on. I write as often as I can. And I will always, I always make time for it because it, it's my job. Um, you have to make time for that. But exactly how much time I try not to stress about that because I just give it as much time as I'm, as, as I'm able. And as long as I'm always giving it as much time as, I, as I'm able, then you'll get it done one way or another. And I feel like that's something that f folks sometimes don't even start that they want to do something, but they don't even start because they're like, I don't know if that I have the time. Well, you don't, none of us have time, mm -hmm. but yep. so just make a, make a little bit of time, even if yeah. it's just mm -hmm. fractions. Yeah. An yeah. experiment. Don't be afraid to experiment because yeah. I can tell you my writing style and Liana, you're probably the same way was not what we just came into the world doing. It's a no. process of no. discovery. So no. like, I didn't ever think about making the little mini layout books before. And then I was just like, well, this would really help me just, and that's what I did. Yeah. And that's how I work. Well, but other and cartoonists I, do different things. I often find that other processes that you learn to like do your boring day job or studying for a test or whatever, that kind of lends to your process too so you could take a little bit of this and fit it Absolutely. in that way and mm -hmm. and i'm the com complete opposite i write linear linearly i have to start at the beginning and go to the end and i don't outline so i'm kind of figuring it out as i go and then i go back and edit things in yeah but you know i didn't like you said, Kat, I just figured it out. No one taught me. I just decided one day, this might be fun to learn. And yep. now, I, now I have a degree in creative writing that I do nothing with. Oh. So, but. Uh, uh, hey, I have a good yeah. degree in anthropology that I do nothing with, <laughs> except for this podcast. <laughs> well. Yeah, they always say you don't, most people don't do what they went, went to school for. So. Oh. Now, I, I'm going to change the subject drastically here because I was curious, because I, I, have, I have a lot of friends that, you know, like write science fiction and fantasy. How much fan art do you get? Um, in the early days of my career, I got a bunch. I think when you have a whole lot of books out, sometimes people don't know where to start. And so I have gotten a little less um as I have gone but part of that too is like where my books are marketed like you know my this my latest books are marketed kind of in like the mystery section and like uh, mystery authors don't necessarily get as much fan art as oh she froze again yeah lost you again yeah make art that is inspired of my characters there there is no bigger honor in the world to me than that uh-huh uh it cut out just a second so you are talking about what the last sentence if you could repeat okay it. so i believe yeah. like so if anybody's out there and uh is is interested in in fan art of my work um i welcome it i am honored <laughs> by it so um i anytime i have uh received it and i have received it often through the years it has been just so delightful it just means the world to me that someone has 
utilize my art for their art because it also really speaks to a lot of mission of my work. A lot of the themes of my work is is celebrate yourself and the t- and your talents and the talents of those around you. So I feel like that just extends that whenever I've gotten fan art, it just feels like, oh, yay. It is- well, that's awesome. Yeah, that it is awesome. Like it, feels, it feels like an exponential thing and that just makes me very happy. <laughs> well, on that, on that note, we've kept you for a long time. We could probably talk to you for hours and hours, but. Uh- <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, uh, time flies. I'm, I I've had a blast with you. I could keep talking for indeed hours. Is there anything we uh, maybe give us your social media and what's coming out and that sort of thing? Yes. Thank you. So um, I am most active on Twitter at Leanna Renee, L-E-A-N-N-A-R-E-N-E-E. That's my Twitter handle. That's sort of my social media of choice. However, I do really like Instagram. I just came very late to Instagram. So I'm still, you know, collecting folks there. So, so follow me on Instagram at my full name, Leanna Renee Heber. I do have a Facebook author page. Um, I am not on Facebook very much at all. So out of all the social medias, I'm on that the least. But I also have an Etsy shop. So uh, my Etsy shop is Torch and Arrow. I love fiddling with uh, vintage jewelry pieces and taking them apart. Uh, I like to find old, beautiful things that maybe need a little fixing. And I'll take the pieces and do something new with them. So um, so you can check out Torch and Arrow on Etsy. And uh, my website is lianarenaheber.com. Uh, I have a mailing list. I only send out um, a I only send out a newsletter when I have a new book out. So you will not at the most you will get one a few times a year if I have smaller works coming out. Um, so definitely, um, don't worry that I will, I won't be spamming you. Um, so, uh, that's how you can keep track of my latest books. Also too, you know, Amazon has a thing where you can, uh, follow the author and Amazon will set, will let you know when I have a new book out, um, which is very helpful. And, uh, so yeah, please. I love hearing from folks on social media too. I love having dis- discussions about uh, any of the things that we talked about. I also have a writer's resource guide on my website. So some of the things that I've said here, links to blogs where I've talked about my process and different things that have inspired me through the years. So if you go to my free reads page where you can see some things and read some of my short stories that are up for free, and you can also go down to the So You Want to Be a Writer page. And on that page, you will find a link to I basically compiled a list of everything that was ever helpful to me as I was starting out. So if anyone says, hey, what advice do you have? Well, I have it all written down there for you. And then beyond that, uh, go forth and uh, create. Oh, well, that's great. On the, thank you so much for talking with us. We're really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. This we'll definitely have to have I, you back on. I, I really yeah. appreciate it. Because yeah, I, there's so many things and so many topics we brought up. They were like, oh, that's a whole other podcast, actually. So Well, we're on every week. So <laughs> yeah, we fantastic. <laughs> well, yeah, I... so thank you so much for and thanks so much to Aisha for suggesting you talk. Yeah, to well, she's yeah. The best. she is the best. She is one of my very favorite people. So I am very grateful for her connecting all of us. And yeah, I am yeah, I think you can tell I like to talk. So no, no, this has been perfect. It, hey, it's really yeah. great. Let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. We'll yes. talk soon. Thank you so much okay. for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Every week we feature a hometown haunt submitted by you, the listeners. If you are interested in submitting your own hometown haunt, creepy cryptid story, or urban legends, you can email them to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. Now on to the 
tonight's haunt. Jen, take it away. Okay, this one is from Mike. And he says, back in 1974, when I was four years old, my family moved to a small town in North Carolina. We built a house there. The builder and his family lived in the same neighborhood, so we were friends. One day, his young son said to me, you know someone died in your house, right? A worker fell off a ladder and broke his neck. I didn't believe him. I ignored it. I never asked my parents about it. Then I noticed that every night if I woke up in the middle of the night, I would hear the door from the garage into the house open. It had a very distinctive squeak to the hinge. Then I would hear heavy, methodical footsteps on the hard floors as if someone in boots were walking around. Over time, the footsteps ventured further into the house and eventually upstairs to the bedrooms. Every night this happened. Every night I was horrified. One night, this presence actually grabbed my stuffed bear by the leg and pulled it from my arms. Countless times, if my bedroom door was cracked open, it would gently try to close as if a slight breeze was moving it. But there, there was no breeze. Then eventually the door would forcibly close all the way. No wind. This went on for six years until we moved to Cincinnati. Wow, that wow. is scary. <laughs> wow. That's terrifying. That, that's like serial killer level terrifying. Why would you take a stuffed bear? That's a safety blanket. Well, and, and, and this is our second <laughs> week of, of Mike's haunts. And I asked him and he, and he kind of said maybe he was sensitive too. Uh, is that something and, and, you know, knowing we're going to be going to this ghost hunt Friday is, um, does it seem like younger people are more open to this? Oh, yeah. Thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's well documented that kids will have brushes with the paranormal far more frequently than adults. And uh, I mean, psychologists can figure, try to figure out why that is, but yeah, you have kids that can see ghosts. They'll, they'll see entities that adults don't see. Um, like I used to see my grandmother a lot and my, my mom would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the same with cats, cats and children, and maybe sometimes dogs seem to be very able to see into whatever veil we have and see past it and i mean even some kids are evil even able to recall past lives and mm-hmm. that that's one thing i've been kind of waiting to see if little dude is able to do is like tell me about his past life somehow that has not happened yet but one of my friends mm-hmm. her daughter recalled a very detailed past life memory and uh, there's even a famous one about a kid who was able to detail his death at Gettysburg that mm-hmm. has been uh, documented so that does happen um and who knows why people tend to lose the sensitivity as they grow up um for some it peaks in when they're tweens and then just dies off and then some people kind of like me it just continues on and never really falters at all so mm-hmm. yeah that's definitely a thing and uh my brother said to my mom once when he was like one or two don't you remember when you were the kid and i was the mom that's such an oh. interesting yeah that is an interesting statement yeah 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 you, you get those little things from toddlers who are just getting their grasp around language and everything mm-hmm. so well, yeah well, no i get good. to hear about cars all the time instead so <laughs> Oh, well, it's better than saying there's this man in my room. 
I guess. Yes. yes. Oh, no. 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 My no. nephew said to my sister, they were parked at a light in front of a cemetery. And he goes, who are all those people standing over there? <gasps> and there, she said there was no one in the cemetery. That is but quite excellent. No one. She he has very see. bad eyesight. Oh. And he didn't have his glasses yet. So I'm wondering if he, if he was just seeing like headstones. That could be. Who knows? <laughs> or trees. But still, that that's a creepy like a- statement. That, that is a very like, creepy statement. That sounds like a reasonable explanation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We're going to go with that always, one. That's what we always tell ourselves. Oh, he just couldn't see anything. Surely it that's wasn't how a we bunch sleep of dead people. Or exactly. can't, really can't see, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he's um, got to be this close to, you know. Well, oh. on that note, we probably should end the show. Um, yeah. Yes. So, thank okay. you, everyone, for joining yeah. us on another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I'm Kat Loco. With me is Christina and Jen. And we will see you next week. Stay curious. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.